Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello, welcome along to this week's episode of Soundtracking, my weekly podcast where I get to indulge my passion and a lot of yours, it would seem, uh, talking about film and music. Thank you so much to everybody who has been in touch on email, info at edithbowman.com. Apologies for the tardiness of my replies, but I will get to you as quick as I possibly can. And please keep those messages coming in. I think from next week, it'd be really nice to start including some of your messages because not only are you making great uh, guest recommendations, but it's just a really nice conversation going on about film. So from next week, I promise. Uh, So get those emails in info at edithbowman.com. But uh, let's crack on with this week's episode, shall we? Because our latest guest on Soundtracking is the man responsible for one of the blockbusting cinematic events of the summer. Colin Trevorrow has played a part in the last three Jurassic movies, World, Fallen Kingdom and now Dominion, which he wrote and directed. I absolutely loved it, as did my son and his mates, because I took them to see it on Saturday for his birthday at The View in Finchley Road in London, which is one of their 91 cinema venues across the UK and Ireland. Tickets are available from just £4.99 online at select sites, so it is an affordable way to spend a morning, afternoon or indeed evening. For more info and tickets, just head to myview.com and get yourself a film that is made for the big screen with View offering the best seats, screen and sound. And speaking of sound, Jurassic World Dominion is scored by a friend of the show, Michael Giacchino, and you'll hear plenty of his work on the film shortly. But first, a word from my friends at Shopify. Now, one of the many things about soundtracking that I'm very proud of is that we started on our own, which gives us incredible freedom. We make all the decisions and there's something empowering about being your own boss. Well, this is something you can do too with Shopify. That, my friends, is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run and grow your business. Now, don't worry about not having skills in coding or design or even marketing. It's all in one place and makes it simple for anyone to sell anywhere. Whether you're thinking about creating your first online shop or you're looking to find new customers for your existing business. When you're ready to share your idea with the world, build it on Shopify, which is powering thousands of ideas across the UK. Shopify simplifies selling to anyone anywhere from in-person point of sale to online through your website and social media channels like TikTok, Facebook and Instagram. A great example of Shopify's success is Gymshark. Not just about fitness wear, it's created a hugely successful, empowering, inclusive community, which I use regularly with the help of Shopify. Now could be your turn. You could start selling today with Shopify for free. Their support 24-7 helping every step of the way. So what's stopping you? Sign up for a free 14-day trial at shopify.co.uk slash sound. That's all lowercase. Shopify.co.uk slash sound right now to grow your business. And so to Colin and Jurassic World Dominion. And we'll begin with one of Michael Giacchino's cues from the film, Girls Can Alpha 2. 
Colin, how are you? I'm really well. Welcome to my home. I like it. I like what you've done with the place. <laughs> it's a bit of a scary guy behind you. Uh, have we met before? Did we? In a, I feel like we did, right? Yeah. Yeah, we we did. We had crazy. a yeah. I we had a lovely conversation about about lots of things, really. Michael Giacchino being one of them, which was great, and yeah, lots of different things. So it's nice to to reconnect with you and thank you for more Jurassic shenanigans basically yeah totally <laughs> it's kind of weird because i don't want to say too much about the actual storyline or the film to, to not spoil it for people and stuff but there's obviously things that are out there that are in the trailer and stuff this wonderful yeah. kind of bringing together of the old and the new i guess in these journeys with these fantastic films you know and you've got a journey with these films as well what was it like to kind of you know to, to kind of get back into to this world well, I don't feel like I ever left it, you know. Been You've been on the for, island for years. I've been on the island for a long time. I've been doing this for uh, for eight or nine years. I think the first time I talked to Stephen and Frank about this, it was probably January, February 2013. Wow. Uh, which was long ago. A lot of life uh, has gone by. And when I think about the friendships that I've made and the, and, and the creative partnerships that I've formed with so many people over the course of this time, even, you know, Jay Bayona, who directed the film in the uh, between these two, and that that was an incredible collaboration. Michael Giacchino, all of our actors, you know, it's a part of my life in a much more intrinsic way. It's not just a job, you know. Yeah, you mentioned Stephen, and we we had the absolute pleasure. In fact, we were still giddy about it of getting to spend chat to Mr. Spielberg at the uh, at the end of last year, and and kind of still still surfing on his enthusiasm for his craft and what he does and telling stories. Um, yeah. How involved is he still in this process? Because, you know, so it's the journey that he started, really. It is. And, and you know, he's very involved in the, in the script process just to make sure uh, that we all know exactly what we want to say and what we yeah. want to feel. Uh, he's, he's really dialed in to the audience and what someone sitting in the theater needs out of any given moment. Uh, mm. And so we have a lot of conversations at that stage. Once we go make the movie, it's one of the reasons why he's a great producer is he's a filmmaker and he knows that, you know, unless there's something that he really is concerned about to sit back and, and let us go make our film. And in the case of this film, make a film during the pandemic, you know, in a, in a really challenging time. So there was even that much more of a, I'm not going to talk to the pitcher right now. I tell you what, I've got to say thank you as well, because um, we moved out to the countryside just before the, the first lockdown and uh, my kids knew school. You know, there's lots of green and, and amazing trees and the driveway into our my kids school for the first month of driving in there every day. We played the Jurassic Park theme tune. because Oh, the big gates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. I live out in the, I live out in the country outside of London as well. Um, and we also, yeah, we should, it feels a little on the nose for our family. It's, it's a really good day. It's a really good start to the day. You're kind of like, oh yeah, I'm ready for anything. Oh. Um, it's so good. Yeah. But, uh, but with the music, cause obviously you're, you know, this, this film in particular with these old characters or these, uh, these kind of characters that we, we were introduced to in the first films are, are, are back. And where did you start with the conversation with Michael? Because Michael obviously did his, his own brilliant work on kind of celebrating, you know, the foundations of John Williams' work, but very much creating his own suites and sounds and themes for, for his interpretation of these worlds. There's some wonderful moments, I think, with the old characters, how they're introduced and how their story develops musically in this film. Yeah, uh, that's a great observation. For, I, 
I like to call them legacy characters as opposed Thank to Thank you. Old. Yeah, old. Sorry. I was trying to think of the right. Jurassic no, wasn't I, the right world. <laughs> well, I know none. I mean, like, I, I would argue that, you know, Sam Neill and I being, you know, probably 25 years apart looked like maybe brothers at this point. So he is, uh, he is not, uh, not old looking at all. But Michael and I share a set of values and priorities when it comes to how I direct the films, the stories that I tell, and then how he writes his score. Uh, yeah. And we both feel that the most reverent thing to do in most cases is to do something original uh, and, and to not be constantly dipping into to nostalgia. And, and uh, it's obvious. It's not that it's easy to do, but in some ways it's easy to do. You're, you get to use John Williams score, uh, which any moment you hear, it's going to conjure up a set of emotions that are extremely deep and powerful to anyone who grew up during that time and saw Jurassic Park as a kid. So we yeah. try to use that really sparingly and really thoughtfully. I think all three movies, Michael wrote a score that uh, then we watched the film with the score, really knew uh, what our music was going to do in any given moment. And then we found the places to put the theme in uh, so we could just be very, very deliberate and careful. Oh, that's great. I, I don't know if this was deliberate and I might just be overthinking it with the legacy characters, but there's one, but particularly when with Sam Neill's character, Alan, he has his cue, which has a beautiful way of including that original mm-hmm. theme. It's so beautiful. It's kind of like, it's like being cuddled. It's really lovely. Uh, it and, is, well, but, and that was when I, I actually, I, I guess I arguably misspoke because Michael will weave things in that are so subtle from the mm. score, even in his, in his work before we even do that pass of, well, where else could we really, you know, place it? That's one great example of it where he recognizes that just hearing two notes, you know the rest of it right away. Uh, and mm. so he'll just in places do two or three notes to make you feel that warm hug uh, <laughs> and then take it to his new place, which I, I think is is really just deft. Yeah. And even in the way that you've kind of shot Sam as well, there's this kind of is is a beautiful kind of back to those original films of how we sort of kind of slightly pull into a mid shot of him in a way in a kind of quite a fast pace. And it's like, oh, you it takes your breath away almost in a way because there's a kind of it's like a memory kind of jolt in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, the man can do a close up. And, <laughs> uh, and so I each I, I really uh, I put a lot of care uh, into entrances and and michael's uh has that priority too and every major character in this movie has a very clear entrance and you know ellie when she gets out of the the car and sort of stands up into frame uh grant uh we see his boots walking first and then we see his full body and then he turns around in a close-up into frame uh mamadou when he comes out of that helicopter uh dewanda has two awesome ones yeah. <laughs> but, and we just used them both um <laughs> But each of those to me, and you know, Bryce, when she takes her hood off at the very beginning, which is one of those complicated lighting things that we did on the whole movie <laughs> is getting like light to hit a face under a hood as it comes off. Um, each one of those has its own musical cue that makes you feel what you feel and hopefully doesn't make you feel manipulated or, yeah. or led, you know, led to water, led to the emotion, like it lets you have it on your own. 
uh, which is a really careful balance because you you could just it, there's another version of this where every time one of our legacy carers, characters enters, you hear the yep, I know, I feel it. But we Michael is, I think, he's just a little more thoughtful than that. It's almost like having been sat next to your mate and kind of recognizing something in it and kind of going, oh, did you see that? Yeah. Oh, you know, kind of, did you miss that? Did you see it? So it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's really, um, it's really personal actually. It's lovely. It is. Well, it's, and I trust the audience. I trust fans. I trust anyone who has the memory of Jurassic Park, just like embedded in their soul, yeah. you know, that we can do things that are to the casual eye. You'd think people would miss. But what I found is people watch the movies, they actually catch everything, uh, but it gives them the joy of almost feeling like, you know, they discovered something that's like buried six layers deep uh, when actually uh, it's it's, you know, it's it's there for people who experience yeah. this as a kid and it doesn't go away. Can we talk Jeff Goldblum? I almost kind of feel like there's there should be some, you know, one of those really loud air horns. It can be every time he comes on screen, you're kind of like, yeah, just because yeah. he's got this presence. He's just kind of. He's such a unique individual. I mean, I don't know him, but, you know, in terms of being a fan of watching him over the years, just kind of he has this presence where it's kind of like, oh, I, I can't wait to see what you do and yeah. where you go. In terms of directing him, but also in terms of talking to Michael about what the character needs, you know, what Ian needs musically. Do you mm -hmm. mind talking a little bit about that, about both those sides of it? About Because there's what that scene where he's, you just feel like you kind of go, okay, Jeff, this is kind of what needs to happen in the scene. Go for it. You know, in terms of he just, you feel like he's just ad-libbing or improvising sort right. of thing. Oh, great. Yeah. I, what's amazing about him as an actor is, is that he's actually extremely well prepared and very thoughtfully, carefully practiced uh, when he comes to set. He's been working on these lines for a very long time and he does it. Uh, that's his process <laughs> in getting to the level of delivery where it feels like he's making it up as he goes along. And yeah. feels uh, completely uh, off the cuff. And it's a very specific skill, but you wouldn't imagine that, you know, we were all living together at this hotel and I would see him out there just walking around the grounds of this, of <laughs> we're out in the British countryside, uh, just saying his lines to himself over and over and over again. And then when he actually does it, you just get the impression that he improvised the entire thing, um, which I, which right. I, I love it. And, you know, there's something about his, we very musically, structured the movie when it comes to characters coming in and out of it. Uh, yeah. And so there's something, you know, there are, we, we consider especially the legacy characters to be a theme that's mm -hmm. introduced. We introduce our three themes early on, but then, uh, you know, we withhold them for a little while and you wonder, you start to wonder, oh, are we going to get to go back and see them again? And then you do. 
And then we actually take Jeff Goldblum leaves the movie for a little while and you wonder if he's coming back. And then when he comes back, he comes back so strong uh, that you feel like he's almost host of the rest of the movie. Uh, yeah. at that point. <laughs> uh, so there is really, there's a very musical way, which I think hopefully helped Michael a little bit discover what he ultimately did is, is we have, we have many characters that, that weave in and out, uh, but get closer and closer together until they collide. And then they are this unit, right. For the last, you know, for the last act in the movie. Uh, which I think he was able to to integrate all that in a, in a pretty beautiful musical way. Scott as well as a I, I don't like to use the term villain but just in right. terms of the complexities of that he's so good he's, he's so, so good thank he's you so, <laughs> he's so good he's so terrifying like yeah. kind of unassumingly terrifying that you're kind of like just chills down your back almost that yeah. his kind of almost he almost floats it's an incredible performance and and no one's really seen it yet. We didn't put it in any of the trailers. Maybe you've seen a picture of him, but you can't really capture it until you see what he does. And it's very rarely have, have I been able to work with an actor who brings such a, a very specific portrayal to something that could have been kind of standard issue when you, yeah. when you think of what we knew about Dodson so far. He was just a guy in sunglasses and a hat that gave a shaving cream can to another guy who then we got to know. He wasn't really painted with any brush yet. We didn't really know anything about this guy. And so for him to go and and figure out, okay, what it, what exactly is the, you know, the biotech leader of today uh, who's, who's, you know, in a very mercenary way, worked his way to the top, but has done so because of his, you know, ability to, to come off as a genius, because he, his brain is probably firing off in so many different directions. Uh, at the same time that you imagine, well, this guy must be the one who invented all of this stuff. But in reality, he doesn't invent any of it. He relies on, you know, Dr. Wu and all these other brilliant young people and then takes all the credit for it. So this theme really formed, especially in the relationship between Mamadou's character uh, and his, mm -hmm. where, you know, there's all these brilliant young people who are are doing the work and, and really believe in what's going on at Biosyn. And this guy's up top 
uh, making some really shady decisions on their behalf. How was the script writing process, you know, in terms of it's a meaty script. There's there's a lot going on and it's so fascinating and it's so relevant as well. That's what's fantastic about it. Thank you. Thank you. I I hope it's a movie that as people see more, uh, it's it's made for multiple viewings. It's because that's how these movies are. Like kids watch them. You you know, you've got a kid. They watch them over and over and over again. Yeah. Especially with a movie like this that, yes, has a lot of adventure and dinosaurs and all the stuff that will have that rewatch value. There's a lot of layers to to what's going on in performances like like Campbell's, really everybody. And I hope it's the kind of thing that as you as you see it more, uh, you'll you'll just really be able to like breathe it all in. It, it it's a lot of movie, uh, and I think you can probably have a sense that like you know it's everybody realizing this might be our last chance to ever you know make a Jurassic movie together. I mean, probably is. And so we all had so much we wanted to say. We were in a moment when we weren't sure if we were going to survive as a planet. And you remember how that felt. You know, we look back on it now and we feel like, you know, we're going to we're going to make it. We're going to be OK. But, you know, we got out of it together. Uh, and this group of people who made this movie got out of a challenging situation together. And I was just so proud of their willingness, the actor's willingness to put themselves at risk, to be away from their families, to be isolated for you know four or five months together so wow. we could get all of our crew, our, our UK crew back to work. UK crews, man. The best in the world. I moved here. So, like, <laughs> You're it's not, never you know, going back. Just, like, wander in. I'm not going back. No, I actually do. I do live in the UK and I've been here for six years and we're not leaving. My, my family uh, is here and a couple personal reasons. My wife is French, so we're close to her family. But yeah. working here on Fallen Kingdom and, and when I was on Star Wars, seeing uh, the level of craftsmanship uh, of dedication that the UK crew has, the pride in their work. Uh, it, it's so extraordinary that I just decided, let me just make movies here forever. <laughs> Jurassic World came out in 2015, but you know you started working on that probably a good couple of years prior to that. I think you said 2013. In terms of the kind of technology as well, that's kind of in that 10 year span for you as a, as a filmmaker and storyteller, particularly with a film like this, I almost kind of feel like it's a, it's a James Bond dinosaur film, is how I'd kind of describe it, because you have these amazing action sequences as well that we know and love from all the Jurassic films. But this is slightly different in terms of the location of part of it, you know. And that's why I'm looking forward to this repeat viewing and stuff, because even just isolating the creation of these beasts and these, you almost kind of just want to watch that for one viewing and kind of celebrate that and how that's been created. Is it a big change? Is it a big advancement in technology to make that side of things easier for you? Or? Well, kind of too. I mean, the, the advancements in technology have, in a lot of ways, allowed us to, to go back to earlier technologies uh, in using more animatronics. Because one of the reasons why I didn't use as many in the, in the first one, uh, and even in the second one, though we did use more, is that there are obviously limitations and that we weren't really able to extend an animatronic uh, into a digital body and have that. Yeah feel natural. And because of what J.A. Bayona did on his film, he he started experimenting with that and he found ways uh, to, to push ILM to, to really perfect it. And so on yeah. this one, you'll, you'll see, you know, the Giganotosaurus is an animatronic with, in many cases, a digital body extension. So it can move around, it can do things that the animatronic couldn't do. And so by taking off some of those limitations, we were able to make more. Uh, and then also we had more resources uh, so we could make more. And I was, you know, it was just sort of me. I felt like I was just going to the bank every day asking to have another loan to, to make more animatronics, but that's part of what filmmaking is. And so that part was exciting. But then, you know, as far as the, the way the movie moves around the world and, and goes yeah. into these different environments, I, to me, it was kind of structured after 
you know, a rock concert or a meal or anything like in a right in a good show like you know you'll hear a lot of stuff off the new album in the first half but uh, <laughs> they'll make sure to like drop a couple hits in the middle right of the set and then like there'll be a great drum solo you know you'll get like i feel like bryce dallas howard seen underwater is our drum solo and then <laughs> when you get to the end it's just like one after the other all on the watchtower like let's go like we're hitting everything uh so yeah it's it's structured after a concert that's a great way to describe it What's your favorite rock concert that you experienced that at? I mean, so, 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 so many. I think, you know, I, I think back to when I was young, like U2 is really good at, at building a set list, obviously. Paul Simon's really good at building that kind of set list because he always has new stuff that he's doing when he was still performing. And there yeah. would always be great new stuff off the new record that was really interesting, but you all know why we're here. <laughs> you know, and so there's, <laughs> yeah. there's that great understanding. And I went to a reach, I saw Mayor when I was in LA just recently. And uh, yeah, I, I am a fan, but there was the balance uh, between the new stuff and the stuff everybody came to hear. At a certain point, you started, he was kind of thanking everyone for their patience, uh, yeah. which I thought was great. He's like, listen, I get it. I know. But like, we really want to play another new stuff. one. They're like, they're like, let's go. Come on. Uh, but that's, it's a great thing to, it actually reminds me of a great meal. Like that's the other thing this movie is structured on. It's like a great five course meal. Uh, <laughs> right. and, like you want elements of it that are, you know, if you the first half of it, there's like challenging things. You're like, wow, it's a lot of citrus. I'm like, uh. Uh, and then, and then you get into, then they bring you like a really nice, just perfect piece of rustic bread and butter. And oh, you're yeah. Like, oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. I needed that. Oh, this is just like being at home. And then just a series <laughs> of like, remember when your mom made this? Yeah. You finish on dessert. Always the best. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. With um, just go back to Michael and the fact, you know, kind of working across these three films that you've been part of. I don't know if it's a conversation you've ever had with them, but it's, is it easier for a, a composer when they've been through the journey of these three films in terms of taking it to the next step and to the next step, but enhancing and bringing certain things with you? It's more of a question for him. I, I think yeah. in my observation of very rarely does a composer do, you know, three films and a trilogy of movies. Yeah. It's a very specific opportunity, especially when you have John Williams having done the previous ones. Uh, and so it was actually a very specific choice. Initially, I met with John uh, when I was, you know, a child about to direct Jurassic World and he was doing, you know, he was going to do Star Wars. And I was like, OK, that's cool. And, and, and uh, we talked about ways that that we could move forward. And, and I, I actually felt like, you know what, the most respectful thing to do is for me to go, you know, find somebody else who I believe in, who's, you know, my generation. And like, we're just going to we're going to do absolutely the most fiercely original thing that we can do because mm. uh, that feels respectful. Uh, and so I, I imagine it was a surprise even to him uh, that we didn't use, you know, the themes as much as we did. But when we did it, when we used them, I think they were so effective. And yeah. in, the, in the middle one, we barely used them at all.
part of that was knowing that there was going to be a third film. There's a lot of things that we held back on or didn't do in the second film, knowing that in this third film, we could do it and it would be deeply satisfying. It would just like ring the bell a, a little deeper in people. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully when you watch them all together, it, it'll, you know, it'll really feel like an arc. How do you hold it together when you get to meet John Williams? I, I huh. kind of contact his people and I come at him from all angles, basically on a kind of bi-weekly basis of going, hi, me again. Any chance of chatting to you? But I think if I actually met him, I'd probably just faint, you know, at the sight of him. But what is, what's he like? What's it like stepping I mean, into a room a with him? Beautifully uh, soulful man. Uh, and he's so connected to the music in the way that very few people, even musicians uh, are connected to it. It's a very unique relationship that he has with, with melody and, and his ability to, yeah. And, and Michael has it too, but they're very different. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and his ability to, to look at an image and create something that will, you know, make you feel as warm as his music does is pretty unique. And I think most composers, when they go for that level of warmth, like we don't really go major that often anymore in movie scores. And you, Michael and I talk about, it, I'm like, when are we going major, man? When are we going to do it? And, and he's like, yeah, not here, not here. And, but then when you do it, you know, it, it feels, uh, you know, so fulfilling. So for him to have this body of work uh, is it's absolutely all time. It's extraordinary. It will never be matched. And people like Michael and I are, are just so fully aware of it. If you look at the position we're both in, like, Michael's making, you know, a new version of something John Williams did. I'm making a new version of something Steven Spielberg did. Uh, that is that is both, you know, intimidating, scary, uh, a little bit exciting, but more the first two things. <laughs> I do think that Michael is is kind of like you say, he's uh, he's the next generation's next generation of film fans is, is Williams, really, because, you know, I've got two boys who are nine and 13 and. So many of his films, whether it be The Incredibles or Up or or even things like with my 13-year-old, Jojo Rabbit, you know, in terms of what he did with that film sort of thing. I think that his his the variety of what he's able to do and but his connection with melody where it's allowed is just extraordinary and so memorable and so kind of it gets into you in the same way that for me, you know, when I watched E.T. and Star Wars for the first time, it's kind of like they're kind of, they're almost in my DNA now in a way. Do you know what I mean? They will never leave. And I think that Michael's work is the same for my kids. I, I agree. And yet they're, you know, the needs of the modern child uh, is, it's so different. And mm-hmm. so to see him be able to adjust to the ways that the movies are different, uh, to the yeah. pacing of movies, like he doesn't control that. And yeah. yet he needs to, to write scores that fit something like the Batman and also, you know, Marvel, which which moves pretty fast, our movies like these are such different films. Uh, and then a Pixar film for him to be able to modulate as well as he does is is what's amazing. And I, I can't necessarily tell you if you played a, a Giacchino score that it's definitely him all the time. And I feel like if you play John Williams, that usually I'll be able to, you know, yeah. he really he really can kind of chameleon. Uh, yeah. The score he did for for my uh my third film, which you know wasn't a huge success, but he did a beautiful job for the Book of Henry. Book of Henry, he yeah. This really quiet, lovely score that, at times, was just like you get these three chords because what's going on is so emotional that I'm not gonna if I just if I bring the strings out, this this the wheels are gonna come off of this. So <laughs> I'm just gonna play this on the piano, and that's it.
Yeah, I, I think he's he's just got the most incredible sensibilities to character and stories, really. He kind of can really read things really well as to what it needs. Absolutely. And and it's, I love how when I showed him this film, he'll just come to me and and say how he uh, he felt and he he really he really enjoyed the movie a lot. And so he got very excited that he got to to do uh, it, it went so many different places that he was, oh, I get to do a Western over here and then I get to do like <laughs> a big sweeping romantic epic over here. And then there's like hard street action. So we're going to he does, you know, electric guitars and he does synths in this, which he never does. He always records with the orchestra. Uh, but when you get into there's this one part when when Bryce is in this like knife fight, you know, with with Deshaun Lockman's character in, in yeah. an apartment in Malta, and he just starts like grinding on this electric guitar. Uh, and it's like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. which is so great. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I could I could talk about him for hours. He's, but I did a great chat actually with him and um, David Arnold together. And it was a really lovely and it's, it was nice having them both together. It's kind of they, they kind of. Uh, they're, they're a good double act, actually. It was great. Do you know yeah. what's next? For him or me? For you. For me? <laughs> Michael will be writing every score forever. <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing about, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely tell you, but one memory I have, I actually went to an event. I don't know if you were there where David Arnold and, and Michael were kind at of- At the Royal Albert Hall. Each other. At the Royal Albert Hall, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, they let me go out on stage and be deeply confused that they weren't playing Jurassic <laughs> World, which was fun. But I did another, it was another event. It was Michael's 50th birthday. And okay. uh, he invited everybody, all of the directors he's worked with, JJ and Gareth and, and uh, Pete Doctor. everybody came out. And there was this moment uh, where we were all in an elevator uh, going up because we were going to go out on stage. And I mentioned, you know, so it's been 25 years uh, since you started writing music for film. Uh, mm-hmm. You're 50 years old now very likely that you you know you'll be doing this when you're 75 so we're going to get to come to another concert that's this long of all music that we haven't heard yet and it was like everyone in the it just feels like a simple idea but everyone in the elevator was like, <laughs> was like oh my god all that new music this guy's gonna write uh which is incredible so what i'm doing next I, i'm really fascinated with our first civilization uh that existed twelve thousand years ago with technology uh and and governance uh and uh, everything so i'm making an atlantis trilogy Wow. Uh, Yeah. About our first, uh, the first time we had it all and then we lost it all. Wow. Where are you with that then? We have a script and we're, we're actually getting a little more uh, aggressive with you. We have our, my art team is coming in from, from Dominion, uh, Kevin Jenkins, who did an incredible job with this and uh, a few other artists to start building it as we continue writing. And the possibility of just doing a new myth for kids is, is really like, that's, that's the golden chalice for me. Like that's why I love And so, you know, we've built something uh, that I, I've always been fascinated with it, but it's always, you know, we've always seen it as like an underwater magical kingdom or something, but just the idea that um, our civilization uh, actually was fully functional. And then, you know, a, while we were focused on immigration and war, the environment uh, took us out. It feels like a story that, you know, young people right now who are feeling like they were left a world that is dying, a civilization that is crumbling might connect with. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. You know, it's, it's lovely because you're making these, you know, you're talking about the idea of this being a, for, for kids sort of thing. When you were a kid, what were the, what were the big films for you that you really kind of connected to and the things that made you want to be a filmmaker? It started with the Muppet movie and that, and that's where Michael and I really connect is we really connect on the Muppets, both the, the way that the sense of humor uh, defined what we think is funny as a generation. Yeah. Uh, the, in some ways, like the lack of respect for authority and the chaos that that if you hire the Muppets to do something, it's going to go wrong for whoever hired. Them. 
always. <laughs> and, and that's kind of, even though hopefully it goes right for, for universal and everybody who hires us, we want to have that feeling of like, I can't believe they gave us this job to do <laughs> like, cause we're, you know, we're going to do some weird stuff. Um, so that was big. And then obviously like, you know, all of George and Steve is star Wars and, and Raiders and, and, you know, we we came up during a very specific era of storytelling that yeah. I don't know if it can be repeated uh, yeah. based on the way that that movies are made today, the kind of priorities placed on a story before uh, it can be made into a, a large scale film. One of those priorities being that we've seen a version of it before, Yeah, uh, you know, for for something new to be made is is rare. And so that was just a time when new myth makers were supported in, you know, in creating these stories that I think are as valuable to us as. Peter Pan and the Wizard of Oz and Dracula and like all these things that have been around for, in some cases, centuries. Yeah. Uh, I, I think as time goes on, we're realizing that that's what Star Wars was. That's what you know, these guys did. Uh, and it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Like they're they're Mary Shelley out there. We've got a, I've got a date with my boys tonight. We're going to watch the first episode of the new Obi-Wan actually tonight. Can't wait. I really like how they're doing that thing with them um, where they're making us wait as well when, with the new. I know it's a completely different sort of subject off your thing, yeah, no, but back to the old days where we had to wait to watch things on telly, you know, where you had to wait for the next episode a week. It's really healthy to make kids wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so glad that and I feel like that's a trend that's that's turning back in a, in a really good direction because yeah. kids already can have everything all the time. They, yeah. they, they, like any, as far as entertainment's concerned, you have this screen where anything ever made is a couple clicks away. <laughs> Uh, and so to just in my daughter and I have uh, this show called Centaur World that we're obsessed with. We love it. And it's on Netflix. It's amazing. And it was it was given in a, in a whole block. But I try to like stretch it out. <laughs> we're going to wait a couple of days and then you can watch the next episode. I didn't just made it more of an event for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it used to be uh, talking of events. So the, the last three films, my 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 oldest boy's birthday is on the 10th of June. And the films have all come out around his birthday. And so uh, he's chosen for his 14th birthday on the 10th of June to take to go with some friends to go and see Jurassic World Dominion. So I love this kind of this hunger to to watch your work. It's lovely. It's a special I mean, it's all of us. It's it's a special um, week for me. Every movie I've made and this is the fifth movie I've I've uh, been involved with came out the second week of June. Like that exact same from Safety <laughs> Not Guaranteed on. Uh, so hopefully uh, this one will earn its release date for sure colin it's so great to chat to you um, and i look forward to getting the chance to, to to talk about this next adventure that you're going on when yeah when you get it made and we can talk about it i look Wish forward to that yeah you'll smash it you'll absolutely smash it congratulations on uh, jurassic world dominion it's great to chat to you thank you so much for your time thanks so much take care take care bye-bye
From Michael Giacchino's score to Jurassic World Dominion, that's got to shut down the blah, blah, blah. What a great name for a cue. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Colin Trevorrow. Jurassic World is out in cinemas now, including views 91 venues across the UK and Ireland. Tickets are available from just £4.99 online at select sites, so it's an affordable way to catch a film on the big screen at View. For more information and tickets, just head to myview.com. As with the previous films in the franchise, it is made for the big screen, and we're thrilled to be working with View, who believe in completely immersing yourself in the ultimate big screen experience, providing the chance for you to get lost in great stories without distractions from the outside world. Now, if you are going along to see Jurassic World Dominion, there's a special edition of View's pre-film. You know the one with John Boyega? Encouraging viewers to get lost in the big screen experience. In this special edition, there are several hidden film references, including a few you might spot from the new Jurassic World Dominion film. Now, I was lucky enough to have a go at spotting as many as I could. Maybe you could do the same. My huge thanks again to Colin for taking the time to talk to us. What an absolutely lovely gentleman he is. And if you want to hear my chat with Michael Giacchino, head to edithbowman.com where you'll also be able to find my conversation with the previous Jurassic director, J.A. Bayona. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do keep spreading the word amongst your friends. It would be lovely if you could leave us a rating and a review as well. Coming up on the podcast, not next week, but the week after, we have the one and only Mr. Baz Lerman talking about Elvis. But next week on the show, so excited to share this conversation with you. Likey Lee, an amazing artist, not just in music, she's an actress. She's just an amazing creative individual, I think. And she's worked alongside this brilliant director called Theo Lindquist. And they have created these visual kind of accompaniments to go with her latest album, I, I. So next week on the show, I'm joined by Likey Lee and Theo Lindquist. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>